Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Unselfish, Love Thy Neighbor as Thy Selfie is a book compiled by Paul Parkinson, who's a Cache Valley resident. Features 99 inspiring stories of people putting themselves, uh, others before themselves. Everyone's trying to get noticed, and selfies are taking over the internet. We live in a world where success and achievement seem to be determined by how many likes or followers one has on social media. Selfish behavior seems to be at an all-time high. But there are people who do unselfish things every day, acts of kindness no one notices, extraordinary sacrifices that don't always go viral. So this book celebrates just a few of those unsung stories of regular people and celebrities alike going against the grain and helping their fellow men. That book's been out a little while. The new book is Unselfish Kids, which does the same thing with, uh, with kids, uh, which Paul Parkinson uh, compiled along with his uh, daughter, um, and we want to talk about a feature film called Nowhere Safe, uh, which Paul Parkinson produced. And it's about cyberbullying, so several topics there. Um, we welcome in uh, Paul Parkinson. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Tom. So you're uh, president of Gradual Elevate Media. Yeah, just a, a media company I set up to oversee these projects. It's okay. something that I uh, feel passionate about and uh, you know, making positive media that, that shapes culture positively. Yeah. So gradual elevate. You might in today's world it might be, you know, sudden elevate or let's get there now. Is there is there a purpose in that name? Yeah, I think as we watch what's taken place in society, a lot of it both the good and the bad has happened gradually over time. It's kinda like the putting the frog in the uh, boiling water versus heating it up slowly analogy. Um, really the things that happen with the media, the, the, the gradual uh, negativity that comes about just happens over time. And so hopefully with these positive messages, and we're, and we're seeing a lot of them now, the Mr. Rogers movie is a great example, but as, as the positive messages come out, it just gradually elevates our media, which in turn uh, elevates society. So much of us, all of us really get our, um, a lot of our information from the media. So let's get a little bit of your background. You're Cache Valley, born and raised? Yes, uh, born in Oregon, but moved here when I was five months old and lived here in my entire childhood. Uh, went to Logan High and, and then graduate of Utah State University. Um, so uh, is, is this full-time? Do you, do you have a... It's not. No, yeah. I wish it were. It's, yeah. a, it's Again, it's a passion I have. It's <laughs> a, kind of a hobby, if you will. It's um, a labor of love. Uh, I'm able to involve my family as well, but it's uh, it's kind of secondary to, to what I do full time, which is the the medical supply industry. Okay, yeah. Uh, as with many of these kind of projects, you have to work to support the project, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's a great point. Get anything done in the, in this world? Um, so let's talk about um, unselfish uh, first. W- when did this come out? 2015. Okay, um, and it's it's 99 stories. Right, correct. And you're, you're ba- the, the very end of the book, the 100th story is supposed to be yours. Yep. There's a blank page there at the end of the book, and the, the hope is that people will read through this and then go out and create their own story. And again, most people have. Um, this just causes us to think, and what is it I can go out and do today to create a, a story where I, I like to use the phrase, turn the camera around with this selfie um, culture, we see so much of the camera facing ourselves with the feature on the phone. You flip the fa- camera towards yourself. And so the hope is people will turn that camera around, or in other words, turn their focus around and, and look outward and, and find someone, whether it be a small act or a large act. Most most of these acts are very small, but make a big difference. So the hope is, again, turn that camera around, write your own story, and 
and filled in the book. Maybe we could follow up on that because the subtitle "Love Thy Neighbor as Thy Selfie." So the, the, the book came out kind of as the selfie was taking over, right? Yeah, believe it or not, the year it came out, uh, selfie was the word of the year that mm. year in the in the dictionary and was, was a new word that had recently be, been added to the dictionary. So it was really, that was at that time the height of the selfie, but since then it's even grown to greater heights. Uh, which is amazing. Things are moving so fast, right? 20, that's four years ago. Right, right. And it seems like it's always been a part of our lives. Correct. Um, and so the, the, I guess your feeling was the people who contributed to these stories feeling is let's, as you say, turn the camera back around. Yeah. And it, and it was interesting timing. Um, at the time I had finished the movie, which we'll talk about later, I was, I was kind of between work and, and I saw where a well-known celebrity was releasing a book called Selfish. And I just thought, you know, why don't I release a book called Unselfish? So it came out the same day with no intent to be mean or to belittle that particular person, but just as a counterbalance to that book called Selfish. So, um, again, it released the same day, really purposefully, symbolically, whatever you want to call it, and uh, hopefully created that counterbalance, as I said, to the the selfie culture. Do uh, you think, especially with the advent of technology or just the way that society is going, it, um, I mean, it seems to me that... Uh, selfishness is in some quarters being held up as now a virtue. Yeah, and I think there's a balance. We, we, we need to take care of ourselves first, and there's a lot of the uh, self-care, self-help uh, books and, and things that we can read, but I, but I do think certainly selfishness would seem to be growing. I don't think anyone would disagree as we, as we look at, you know, the selfie's only one example, but just the the promoting of ourselves, the the social media, the different things that are, are really self-focused. But I would say I think inherently people really are unselfish. And, and these kids that we'll talk about later as well, there's no question they were born unselfish. And, and over time, the, the media, the society, whatever it might be, uh, kind of changes that. So but no question the, the selfish behavior is unfortunately um, growing but I would say it's not what people want. Um, I use the Mr. Rogers movie as an example. As we think back on those days of Mr. Rogers, um, no one would argue that what he did wasn't positive and, and, and a good thing for society. And I think this message is the same way. So it kind of grounds us back to what we really know to be the right way to, to behave. What would you say about the technology itself? I guess, the, you know, technology can be good or bad. Yeah, certainly. Right. Yeah, and there's so much positive that comes from the technology we have, the cell phone included. Uh, you know, who of us doesn't use it for good things? And and so it's it's a you know double-edged sword. Um, technology can be used for good. It can be used for ill. Technology. I I know there's you know people that I may maintain contact with through a a daily or a weekly text, and so that's certainly a positive thing. Um, on the flip side, and we'll talk about cyberbullying later, technology has made bullying much more prevalent, um, easy to do, and and I would say much more uh, damaging as well. Mm. Let's jump into some stories. Uh, let's start with the first one in the book, uh, Scott Neeson. Uh, tell us about him. Yeah, Scott is a, it's a, it's really an extreme example, um, but a great example of someone who's basically given all to, uh, to do good in the world. So Scott was a former Hollywood executive. He was originally with, with 20th Century Fox International. 
was an executive there, and he he found himself in Cambodia um, for work and had some time and, and found himself at a, a garbage dump and saw these families living at the dump. Um, you know, didn't think too much of it, uh, flew back to the United States. In the meantime, took a new job with Sony. And so a year later, he was back in Cambodia. Um, again, this is a high-paying job, a, a well-known executive in Cambodia and, and sees these same families again. He's there at the dump and he, believe it or not, as he's there, receives a phone call on his cell phone from a a uh, well-known person who refused to get on a private jet because it didn't have the right amenities. And at that point, he just had this moment where he said, you know, what am I doing? Flew back to the United States, uh, sold his house, his Brentwood mansion, sold his yacht, his Porsche, left his job and returned to Cambodia and founded what's now called the Cambodian Children's Fund. Um, He's helped more than 2,500 students and their families providing them education, um, helping these families in Cambodia, and again, left all this that he had and and has made a tremendous impact on the people of Cambodia. So I realize an extreme example, yet a real, a real good example to use because it shows just the extremes of having it all and, and giving it all to, to serve others. That, that is extraordinary. As you say, kind of out of the ordinary. Um, very admirable. And I imagine others have had that impulse. Right, but, but haven't done this, right? Right, yeah, it's a big step. Yeah, it's a big step. And uh, at the back of the book, I, I noticed you uh, part of the proceeds of the book go to this Cambodian this Children's Fund. Yeah. Correct, oh, wonderful. Um, Ross Peterson, who some people will know in in Cache Valley, uh, contributed a couple of uh, stories. One that really struck me is a uh, former USU football player. Yeah, his name is John Hill. Those that were around in the uh, again in the 70s, 80s, we'll, we'll recognize the name of John Hill, was a standout football player here at Utah State, great student athlete from Southern California, had a, had a rough upbringing. Um, most of he and his siblings spent a lot of time in foster care, but came to Logan, Cache Valley, um, had a very promising career ahead and unfortunately was injured. And so that put an end to his ability to play football. But rather than becoming bitter and upset, he, he, again, turned the camera around. He looked outward, uh, became very involved with uh, numerous members of the community, Ross Peters and Steve Baugh, and started and was instrumental in the uh, Little League baseball and, and coaching and coached some high school football, was just very involved with the community, finished his college degree, and then did what you would expect he would do and returned to his hometown, uh, helped get some of his siblings out of the foster care system, and has been there since as a teacher, as a coach, and has given back to the community where he came from. Um, gives a lot of credit to Cache Valley and, and will always be fond of his, of his time here and maintains contact with these gentlemen I mentioned. But again, great story of just how uh, a tragic thing happened. The community rallied around him, and then he in turn went back and rallied around his own community and has made a difference in literally hundreds of lives. And he could have got hung up on what might have been, right? In fact, yeah. that's in the title. That I don't know if you chose it or sure Ross did, is. but yeah, um, Ross. Um, that the way out for him and his his uh, brothers and sisters was supposed to be the NFL, right? And Correct. NFL riches. That didn't happen, but he still found a way to make it. He sure work. did, and he, and he just he took the talents he had. Sometimes, you know, our talents that we have an end comes. In his case, it was football, but he had talents to reach people, and and so he's done that. And there's you know students that have come here to Utah State 
people have played for him. He, he's just made such an impact in so many lives. So you think of that decision point he had back 30-plus years ago where he could have become bitter because that NFL career ended or never happened, and instead he said, well, this door's been closed. Now what door has opened? And he started op- by opening that door here in the community. As I mentioned, many many of the people in their 40s and 50s that have been involved in, in youth sports here in Cache Valley will know John Hill and were very impacted by him, was a very positive, optimistic man who who gave so much. So great example to me and all of us of when again when one door closes, what door do you open now? And how do you how do you just continue to maintain that ability to serve others? And his life was so positive because he served. Uh, another one that struck me was his fellow in Minneapolis. Uh, he's known as the sandwich guy. Yeah, yeah. His name is Alan Law. It's a it's a pretty interesting uh, story. So his focus has been on those that are experiencing homelessness. Um, Alan has been at this since 1967, so we're going over 50 years, um, and he he's volunteered at this point over 200,000 hours. Uh, the interesting thing is, is he was doing all this out of an apartment. He had 17 freezers where he was storing sandwiches and food, but he goes out every night, just not some nights, but every night in the middle of the night on the streets of Minneapolis, and he serves these people, certainly with food and sandwiches, but also just with love and compassion and has become a mentor and a friend and like I said this is 50 years of doing this in a city where he's I, I think to sum it up in one word just love he's loving those around mm-hmm. him uh, he, I also noticed reading this that he's available you know during the day when I imagine he's trying to sleep yeah yeah he's, he's available he, on the phone if he you is need him right accessible and he's just a, like I said a mentor a counselor a friend to, to these people who who really just need someone that puts their arm around them and, and lifts them up. Yeah. You profiled uh, Malila Yousafzai in, in the book. Why did yeah. you want to do that? Yeah, I, I, I liked the story, her story. Um, one, because she's so young and did so much at such a young age. And, and this next book that we'll talk about on Selfish Kids profiled just young people. But in her situation, here's a young girl who went against the culture she was raised in, the um, societal norms, so to speak, and has, you know, most know her name now and, and did it at such a young age. This is for those who don't remember. Um, she was targeted by the Taliban because she was promoting education for women, right? And, Correct. Uh, as a young girl and then uh, an attempted assassination, which fortunately didn't, didn't kill her, but she was many months recovering um and and then is now become an icon definitely worldwide yeah, yeah. uh any others in the in this book that really stand out to you you know there's there's so many there's um i mean one that one that really is interesting to me because it deals with the the bullying side of things is a story about a girl named Shy Johnson um Shy was born with with some defects and and had some um health challenges and so you know, looked different, had had a different health situation than most of those in her high school. And she came home from school one day and told her mom she, you know, couldn't take it anymore. And, and her mom was distraught and and just had this thought to reach out to a young man who happened to be the quarterback of the football team. And so the mom reached out to this boy, and um, he said, "Think no further. I've got it taken care of." And, and immediately 
rallied his friends, uh, started to walk her to class, carry her books, had her sit at his lunch table at, at school lunch, and she became really kind of the uh, team friend, mascot, whatever you want to call it, if you will, of that team where they took this young girl and lifted her up and, and literally changed her life. The young boy's name is Carson Jones. He and his friends did this. But if you talk to her mom, and I've spoken with her mom, she credits this Carson Jones for saving her daughter's life. And so we, we think about the impact that a young person can have. I know we always think, well, I, you know, what I do won't make a difference. He did nothing dramatic. He didn't spend any money. He spent his time, and he just took this young girl. He certainly had a you know, a social status where he could do this, but all of us can be a friend. But in his case, took her, involved her, and, and changed her life. And so it's it's a story she and her family will always remember, he will always remember, and it's a legacy he's left of kindness. Uh, each uh, story is accompanied by a full-page uh, photograph. In this case, the some football players are literally lifting her up. Yeah. It's kind of a nice, yep. uh, a nice picture. Um, uh, maybe one more story before we uh, move on? Yeah, I'll share one that has uh, some local impact and local flavor as well. It's the story of Liz Howell. Liz and Brady were students uh, here at Utah State University, and both were what you would call dreamers and doers. Um, they had great hopes and dreams, and they, um, after they finished school, they moved back to Washington, D.C. Brady was employed at the uh, Pentagon. He had a dream of being you know, special agent being just, again, doing great things. Well, on, unfortunately, on September 11th of 2001, uh, Brady's life was taken in the Pentagon when that, when that tragic uh, flight took place. And, and so Liz now says, here I am looking at basically my hopes and dreams in the ashes, so to speak. And she, just like John Hill, now was at a decision-making point. Do I become bitter um, or do I take advantage or, or use this closed door and open a new door. And so she chose to open a new door. And she ended up uh, becoming a, a nurse practitioner, um, served in, in Haiti, helped out with different hurricane victims and evacuees, um, learned two languages, turned her life really into a life of service. Um, she said it brought her alive and, and, you know, by helping other people's lives, it just it changed her life story. And so Again, here's an extreme situation where these two young people, married couple, have these hopes and dreams, and and his life taken in, in such a visible, dramatic way, and yet Liz then decides to, um, you know, turn the camera around, so to speak, and look outward, and her life became a life of service. So a great example. She's spoken here at Utah State University. She continues to give great service and is, is just a great example of someone who's unselfish. Uh, the book is Unselfish, Love Thy Neighbor as Thy Selfie. It's uh, compiled by Paul Parkinson. He's our guest for the hour. He's a Cache Valley resident. Uh, he's president of Gradual Elevate Media. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the newest book, which is a continuation. It's called Unselfish Kids. Uh, similar vein, um, only focusing on kids doing unselfish things. Yep, all elementary age and uh, 40 stories, but they're all kids, so it's a little bit... Uh, unique from the first book. And then later in the hour, we'll talk about uh, the feature film that uh, Paul Parkinson produced. It's called Nowhere Safe, and it's about cyberbullying. Um, and uh, we will uh, we'll have much more following this break.
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. This is Kate Salinas with your community events. Upcoming, we've got quite a few different holiday events happening. On Stage Ogden presents Utah Symphony, Here Comes Santa Claus. On the evening of December 23rd, the Utah Symphony will perform some favorite holiday songs at Peary's Egyptian Theater at 2415 Washington Boulevard in Ogden. Concert starts at 7. Holiday Nights is a holiday experience held in four locations. Jordanelle State Park, Utah Lake State Park, Willard Bay State Park, and Russ Freeman Park in Idaho Falls. Holiday Nights consists of more than 1.5 million lights, vibrantly wrapped Christmas trees, more than 40 animated displays and exhibits, visit with Santa, nightly entertainment, and local treats for the whole family. Holiday Nights will take place from now until Saturday, January 4th, from 5 to 10 p.m. at each location. This is Debbie Andrew at Utah Public Radio. I would like to thank Palmer Home Furnishings, Industrial Tool and Supply, and Thompson Premier Lighting and Appliance for their support of UPR programming. Find out how you can become a sponsor by emailing debbie.andrew at usu.edu or give me a call at 435-797-9507. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state, including music concerts, live theater, classes, workshops, art shows, lectures, festivals, volunteer opportunities, and much, much more. Just check out upr.org and head to our community calendar page. There you'll find our user-friendly submission link and the submission guidelines. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about unselfishness on the program today. We uh, talked earlier in the program about a book uh, for 2015 called Unselfish, Love Thy Neighbor as Thy Selfie. We'll get into talking this segment about uh, the second book in the series, Unselfish Kids. And later in the hour, we'll uh, talk about a feature film that uh, Paul Parkinson, our guest, um, produced. It's called Nowhere Safe. It's a uh, movie that addresses the issue of cyberbullying. Uh, Paul Parkinson is a uh, Cache Valley resident and uh, president of Gradual Elevate Media. So, Paul Parkinson, uh, first person I want to hear about is your daughter, Sammy. Um, she she helped you compile this uh, this book. She's, she sounds like she has an interesting story. Yeah, she does. She's been so instrumental. Um, you know, I did this first book we've just talked about, and then due to being employed full-time in, in the medical industry, really had no time to to do another book, but I always had these thoughts. But my daughter was a, a student, a college student, and, and was in her, I believe, her junior year and just wanted to do something different. She was felt like there was more for her to learn perhaps outside of the classroom than there was in the classroom. So she did a couple of humanitarian trips to Fiji, to Thailand, and then spent some time helping some young people in inner city L.A. down in Watts Compton area and, and came back and we just had this conversation. She said, Dad, I, I you know, what can I do to... to take this experience and to maybe, um, you know, to do some good. And so I, I threw out the idea, why don't we write a book together? Let's write a book about unselfish kids. And she 
loved that idea, so she um, immediately started to look for stories and, and had an experience. One of the first stories she found was a, a girl who'd given away 49,000 boxes of crayons um, to, to, hosp- to children's hospitals. And she, she, my daughter talks about getting off the phone and just saying, you know, I knew right then this is what I wanted to do because I had such a powerful, positive experience listening to this young girl and her mom. So she has spent the last, my, my daughter spent the last year and a half collecting, compiling. I've helped her to write some and, and given her guidance, but has been a very, you know, key part of this new book. Uh, so unselfish kids, uh, you said earlier in the hour, uh, kids aren't born selfish, right? They've, they're born. Yeah, they really are born unselfish. You, you know, you watch them, you, I mean, yeah, in the classroom, they may fight over a, a you know, box of chocolate or some chocolate milk or something, but in reality, they're very unselfish. They, they, they inherently help each other. And so I think over time, they probably learn this selfish behavior, perhaps, but kids are just so, they really are unselfish. Uh, so uh, tell us a couple of stories here. Yeah, there, there's, what's nice is there's, there's big ones, there's small ones. I'll start with a small one. It's a young boy named uh, Maurice Adams Jr. from Georgia. It's, it's a very simple story. But the story is that he and his mother were driving home from a high school graduation, and he saw a, a elderly lady struggling to get across the road. She was using a walker and was having a hard time getting across the road. So he said to his mom, stop. His mom stopped. He jumped out, ran over, and, and helped this lady cross the road and get up some steps. Um, again, very, very simple act. Won't make the newspaper, but... Uh, like most acts of kindness, it was simple and had an impact, and this lady will never forget us. That's I like that one because it shows we don't have to do something big to make a difference in someone's life. And uh, sometimes we think we do, right? Yeah. Like, and, and I'll, that, I'll do something big. Yep, and that sometimes keeps us from doing service because we think, well, if I don't do something big, it won't make a difference. If it's not in the newspaper, if, it, you know, if it's not talked about on social media, then it's not going to have an impact. But in reality... It's these thousands and hundreds of thousands of small acts each day that add up to the, the large things. So mm. we should never not do something because we feel it's too small, because in reality it's the small things that have the big results. Mm. What's the geographical span of, of the book, where the stories come from? Yeah, primarily the United States. It was pretty hard to contact and get approval from people out of the country, but there is a story from Australia and then one from uh, Great Britain. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you remember the one from Australia? Yeah, it's the girls that... Uh, uh, cut their hair and, and um, share, they, they grew their hair and then, and then gave this hair to charity. And so it's, again, we, we hear of these things, but it's, it's something that kids are doing all the time and it's something they wanted to do. They'd heard about it and were desirous to do it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, tell us another story. Yeah, there's, again, just maybe another simple one. There's a young boy named Ryan from Napa Valley who, who had heard about, uh, students in his class in his school not being able to pay for their school lunch and so he went home and asked his mom he was so shocked that people couldn't you know pay for their lunch and couldn't eat whatever it might be and and so he went over and took out his allowance and gave it to his mom and said I want to give this and pay off my classmates school lunch which he did and and uh, you know oddly enough since that time it's gained a lot of publicity and it and it's starting to create some changes in the laws in, in his state to where um, there's no more, I don't know, I think they call it lunch shaming. I'm not sure what the correct word is, but this young boy has made now a powerful impact um, on, on his community and on the state, and who knows far that, how far that will spread. That ripple effect is, is powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a story of a, a, a young man who um, 
Um, he, on his seventh birthday, he, he asked if he could donate his presents, which is just extraordinary. Yeah. So Garrett, um, and there's a few of these. There's some that have, there's a girl who has her birthday close to Christmas, and she's asked to donate her presents as well. But he, you know, he he wanted to donate his presents to kids who were less fortunate. Um, just said to his mom, I've, I've decided my life's going to be about giving, not taking. And he actually... He um, also knits caps. He's a great baseball player, but he's also a great knitter. And so here's two, you know, two talents he's found. But he just felt like I can do more than just um, focus on myself. You know, the the youth sports thing is an interesting thing. My, my kids play sports. I love sports, but you think of the time commitment it takes, and and the challenge is how do we balance so much time in um, in activities like this with perhaps helping our kids also be involved in things that are looking outside of themselves. So it's a real challenge in our society today to make that time to make sure we're, we're teaching our children, our grandchildren, to also look outside themselves and not just focus on building their own, their own resume, their own social status, whatever it might be. Well, how do you think the technology is affecting the kids? That, that selfie phenomenon, it's, you know, the kids are impressionable. Yeah, I think it's a huge impact. We could talk for hours about this. I mean, one, it impacts their sleep. And so mental health is certainly affected by lack of sleep because of the time spent on on uh, social media and cell phones. And even, you know, there's studies of what the, the blue light does to us before sleep. But e- even just outside of the, the physical impact it has on us and the mental impact, I think the social impact it has on us and our on our children's lifestyle to be so caught up in the the posting, the number of likes, um, you know, if how am I going to take the perfect picture so more people like this? And I think, again, they've really learned it from us, the adults. I don't think a, any child has ever gone out and at age seven or eight bought their own cell phone. They can't. And so where do they get the phones? Well, from us. Uh, where do they learn the, the behavior of the selfies? Again, from us. And so I think... You know, these stories are the flip side of that, of that societal approach of how do we step away from the technology? And it's, it's not bad. We have to have it. All of our, most of our children have computers at school and at home, and so we need the technology. But how do we take a time out from that, step away, and do things uh, for others, unselfish things? In the book, you have uh, some suggestions, I think, for parents and grandparents, right, to, to sit down with your kids. We do, yeah. At the front of the book, there's a little introduction that encourages parents, grandparents to, to sit down. The, the book was purposely written with very short stories. Each story occupies one page, and it's, you know, four or five hundred words at the most. So it can be read in a matter of minutes. Um, I would envision a grandparent, a parent sitting down with their child and perhaps reading one story a night or, you know, one of my children read this whole book in one sitting in, you know, less than a couple of hours. So, but the idea is the stories are kept simple. They're very easy to read. They're very easy to create a conversation piece. And so a parent, a grandparent, a a mentor, a guardian, whatever it might be, sits down and uh, reads a story and then discusses the stories. And then there's a place in the back of the book put there purposefully where the child can make notes as they're reading, they may have some thoughts come to their mind, some impressions where they say, hmm, I, you know, I have this particular talent, maybe I could do this. And then the next page, it challenges them to write out a plan. It can be a simple plan. It doesn't have to be a, 
you know, something they spend hours and weeks in the mountains thinking about, they can probably do it in a matter of minutes because that thought will come to their mind as they're reading. So they write down this plan and then they go out and do it. So certainly we want the book to entertain, but it's true stories. This is not fictional. It's not meant merely to entertain. It's meant to teach. It's meant to to positively shape culture. And that can only be done if we act. If we only listen, uh, it will make our lives better. But the next step is how do we now make someone else's life better? And that's done by acting. There seems to be, I don't know, an appetite for positive stories, right? Uh, you were, I understand you were invited on the Today Show yeah. with this book. Yeah, we were, we were on the Today Show. My daughter and I, along with three of the uh, young people, it was so great to see the focus placed on them because really these are their stories. We're just the storytellers. But there's a tremendous, I, I don't, I've not met anyone who, who doesn't want to hear positive stories. I mentioned the Mr. Rogers movie or movies. There was the most recent one have been a, a hit. Um, everybody just wants to, they want to feel good. They want to hear positive things. I think there's plenty of negativism, even from those who are, you know, are meant to be examples to us. There's a lot of negativism. And so, yeah, there's a tremendous appetite, as you said, Tom, to to hear positive, uplifting stories. And I think people just, they really want to act out on them as well. And so we hope this will give them an avenue. Uh, in your bio here, uh, you say that your work um, or you're, you're passionate about media that positively affects society and culture. Uh, you see this as a need to counteract. There's a lot of negative out there. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's a fine line. You know, movies, people say, well, movies are meant to entertain. They're not meant to teach. I, I would agree, but at the same time, I, it's hard to find any movie that doesn't teach something, that doesn't give some message, that doesn't somehow affect um someone's mindset and though and so I think you know in this case the books the movies that they need to entertain but they also need to have a, a positive message underlying in them that that people can walk away and and say yeah I can do something um, so it's really positively shaping culture is 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 the the goal I have with all of this mm. uh, I want to before we go to a break and then we'll come back and talk about cyberbullying in the movie <clears throat> I, I want to talk about um, you know you might call it adventures in publishing. What do you, you know, I might think it'd be great to get some stories of unselfish people, unselfish kids, whatever it is. Then, you know, there's barriers, I'm sure, to getting your, your stuff out. How did you, yeah. how, did, how did you, I guess, first of all, why did you think you, Paul Parkinson, could could publish a book. Yeah, yeah. No, great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm meaning that admiringly. Right. Yeah, and I, and, I'll, and with the movie as well, it's the same thing. It's something I'd never done, and so I just, I, I, you know, there's, I don't know how many thousands or millions of books published each year, but um, you know, the 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 biggest challenge certainly is, is how do you get the book out there? And there's self-publishing versus versus using a publishing house. Fortunately, in our time now, self-publishing is is much easier than it's ever been with the internet. With there's self-publishing services, and so I had done it with the first book, um, kind of learned the the business there, so to speak. Had a publishing services provider. The second book, because I'd kind of learned the ins and outs, I was able to um, you know piecemeal it together, so to speak, and hire my own editor, have, have someone that designed it, and and then really just uh, have a, a gentleman who knew about the printing business who connected this with a printer. And so, yeah, I, I, if there's people out there who, you know, have a desire to, to publish, uh, there's plenty of online services now that, that have made it fairly simple 
to do so. Um, the next challenge, of course, is, well, how do I sell books? And, you know, if if the goal is to sell books, I think the average book sells 250 copies over its life, which if you, if you factor that into the books that are selling millions, you're really not selling a lot of books. But so for my daughter and I, it wasn't about, you know, are we going to sell millions of copies? Um, we just, we put together the stories and we figured that it would speak for itself. The Today Show was a really, um, it was a neat thing for us because it told us, yes, there is an appetite for this. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they heard about it within 24 hours, um, they had said, we'd like to have this on the show and have some of the kids. So that was, to me, that was just, it told me, yeah, this is the right message. Yeah. And it, it, it seems like in today's world, not only publishing, but, uh, you know, there's online, there there are many venues to get whatever word you want out. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the problem is everybody else is doing that too. And so how do you, how do you get your message heard? Yeah. And I've always been of the mindset, there's plenty of room to go around. And so, you know, you could have one uh, website that has you know, a hundred thousand followers, or you could have 10 websites that have 10,000, you know, it's, I mean, the, you can never have too much good. And so, yeah, if, if the sole motive is, is a profit is to, uh, you know, earn dollars, then there probably is a pretty big barrier. But if, if the, if the underlying motive is we want to spread positive messages, I, I think everybody can go online. They can put things on Facebook, whatever it might be. And, and, the more the better. I don't think we're competing for uh, good. Who, uh, you know, good in the world. Who can put out the most good? I think th- the flip side it would be, can we put more good out there? And as, as we all do so, it just continues to grow. So it's neat because it's doing good, um, selling good, whatever you want to call it, is an industry that it's not. It doesn't have to be motivated by profit. It's like the nonprofit industry. Um, and so the more the more the merrier. I would say. We're talking about the book Unselfish Kids. Uh, it's compiled by Paul Parkinson and his daughter Sammy Parkinson. Previously, we're talking about the, the, his first book, uh, Unselfish, Love Thy Neighbor's Neighbor as Thy Selfie, compiled by Paul Parkinson. And uh, those books are out and, and available now. They are. Right. Um, let's take a break. By the way, Paul Parkinson is a Cache Valley resident. He's president of Gradual Elevate Media. And that's the platform through which he's published these books. And also... Uh, produced a feature film called Nowhere Safe. It's about cyberbullying. That's what we'll turn to next following this break. The news is full of angry people, so sure they're right and everyone else is wrong. Now, Anne, please look in a mirror and and try to remember (laughs) some of the times when you were righteous. David, I'm afraid that's every day. Yes, and there's a voluptuousness to it. Are we as a nation addicted to anger? That's next time on To the Best of Our Knowledge from PRX. Sunday morning from 9 to 11 on UPR. Cruise into the new year with Utah Public Radio this year as we welcome a brand new decade and celebrate with all of you. It will be an evening of fine dining, live music, dancing, comedy, cruise ship themed photo ops, and plenty of good company. That's December 31st at the Vineyards at Mount Naomi Farms. Head over to upr.org for more details and to get your tickets before they sell out. That's upr.org for tickets, and we hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We are uh, talking with Paul Parkinson. He is a Cache Valley resident. We've been talking about his uh, books, Unselfish and Unselfish Kids. Those books are out now. 
want to get to talking about his uh, movie. He produced a feature film in, uh, I think it's 2014. Um, it's called Nowhere Safe, and it addresses the issue of cyber uh, bullying. Um, so Paul Parkinson, um, I'll just read the synopsis here. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've got the DVD here. I think it's available online and, and other places. After two teen girls cruelly impersonate her online in a reverse cyberbullying plot, uh, Ashley's reputation is ruined, and she and her mother, uh, Julie, uh, flee an escalating threat uh, to their lives. Starting over at a new school, romantic interests and poignant lessons from an eccentric history teacher draw them out of seclusion, and they realize confronting a hurtful past is essential to uh, ensuring a brighter future. Um, so you, you did, did you write screenplay? conceived of this plot and yeah wrote wrote the story um and then had a screenwriter who who did the screenplay and and another gentleman who assisted with the story as well so and then was the executive producer on the project and you got some uh, some big names Nastasha Henstridge uh, Jamie Kennedy yeah yeah I, you know felt like it was important to have if you do it right uh you know go for it and had a couple of hollywood actors and some some great teen actors who who did an incredible job i mean the acting's Phenomenal, uh, Danielle Cochran, uh, correct, is, uh, who's gone on to some some great things. She has, yep. Uh, she plays the lead. Yeah, uh, does a great job as the young girl, high school age girl, and like you said, has gone on to star in other other shows and just a great a great job acting. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question is similar to the one I asked about the books. Um, you know, if I'm thinking, okay, um, <laughs> I'm a radio guy, right? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna produce a movie. Yeah. You might as well tell me, Tom. Uh, you're going to Mars, right? Yeah. So how what <laughs> how does this happen? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot to be said. I first of all, I'd tell you not to produce a movie. I think one of the first things I did, I was I was told by um, a friend, you know, go out and talk to people who've made movies, and and I did that, and and most had lost uh, quite a bit of money. So it's it's certainly not the the best investment. I'd suggest, um, you know, fortunately we've done okay, but. Um, it, it was an interesting story. I'd been in with a, a medical company for 16 years. Uh, the, the the friend who I'd worked with for that time was was taking a different role and moving overseas, and my role was kind of changing. And and for whatever reason, I you know I just had always thought I'd, I'd like to try and make a movie. You know, I I had seen a movie called The Blind Side a few years previously, and I remember walking out of the theater on Christmas Eve and just saying, "Wow, that was." That was amazing. It was it was entertaining, but I also captured a message from that. I just I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I could do that. So I uh, again in 2012, early early 2013, left this medical company and, and spent a significant amount of time meeting with people who'd made movies. Um, started to put together a story. Um, started to just research the industry and and got far enough along where I said, you know, I better I better keep this going. And so. Uh, in time, hired a, a production services company. Uh, they had a screenwriter. Their daughter writes screenplays. Hired the director. Um, we hired these actors. The, the whole thing came together with with the good help of them. They had plenty of experience. And so, you know, jumping back to your question, I, I couldn't have done it without the experience of, of this particular company. They certainly provided the expertise. I guess I had the vision. I had, you know, some some funds. I had I had some passion for this. And then had these uh, uh, partners who understood the business, so couldn't do it alone. None of us could do that alone. We, as with anything, we find people who know how to do it, and, and they they knew how to do it. So, 
Uh, good news is here in Utah, it's a great filmmaking community. Really is, yeah. Great incentives. The state of Utah has the Utah Film Commission. Great incentives for doing things locally. There's there's plenty of talent. There's, you know, from the the technical folks to the the, the filmmakers. I mean, it's it's really a, a great place to do this. Mm. Why cyberbullying? I mean, I, I know it's a it's, it's a big problem. Uh, as I was reading a review of the movie, um, there's an anti-bullying expert who said uh, not necessarily necessarily connected with cyberbullying, but bullying. The two classes of kids: either you've been bullied or you witnessed bullying. Yeah, yeah. As we, as you know, as the, as the story was written, as the script was being put together, and uh, Brian Bruff is the name of the director. He also helped with the story. You know, as we were talking about issues, this cyberbullying came up, and it, and it seemed to be, at the time, a, a very hot topic. It's actually grown even since then, and that just, you know, it, was, it had underlines in the original story. That became then sort of the focus of the of the film and the message. And, um, as I said, since that time, I, you know, I, I have a Google alert on my, in, in my news feed for bullying, cyber bullying, and it's, it's filled every day with stories. Mm. Um, so this, this plot has to do with reverse cyber bullying. I guess the, the classic cyber bullying would be someone starts saying mean things about you. Yeah. Harassing yeah. you online. Right. Reverse cyberbullying. Tell us about that. Yeah. So in this case, the, the girls um, created kind of an online profile of, of this girl who they were bullying, but in a reverse way. And, and so people thought that this girl was saying mean things about others and it just it ruined her reputation. And really the, the film is, it's not based on one true story, but it's based on multiple true events. Ironically enough, when the when the movie came out, someone back in I believe it was Ohio saw the film and somehow contacted me, and they said, "Is this our story?" And I said, "No, I don't. You know, I, I don't know you." And then they shared their story and they sent me some news articles, and it was almost identical to what they had gone through. Wow. So, again, it's based on some some true true events that that I'm aware of. Uh, but it's very realistic, and it and it takes place, you know, all across the country. I guess around the world each day. Mm-hmm. This cyberbullying. This illustrates the dark side of technology, right? Where a bully can be anonymous, and right? It still afflict a lot of damage. Yeah, the anonymous thing is really a, is a challenge in our society now that that you can do and say something so anonymously and, and create so much damage. And so I, you know, another opportunity to to speak to our young people and just help them understand the damage that can be done in, in the earlier in this segment Tom we talked about this young man um, Carson Jones who helped this girl Shy Johnson and and made such an impact on her life because he took her out of a situation where she was being bullied now the flip side we're talking about people who are being bullied in their lives in turn are being ruined so you have these both sides but I I just think it's so important for for our young people all of us but especially our young people understand the impact that these small uh, things make on others' lives, whether for the good or for the bad. Mm. Now, in the movie, uh, Ashley, I mean, her reputation is ruined to such an extent, uh, it gets so bad that she and her mother feel the need to move. Right. Um, and you might say that's hyperbole, but I assume that's probably happened. Happens all the time, yeah. Again, you can go online and find these stories. Um, there's some local. I mean, it happens all over the place where someone is so impacted by the way they're treated that they have to uproot themselves and move. So, again, the the movie's fictional, but it's certainly based on uh, true events that happen all the Mm -hmm. time. 
Now, later in the movie, you don't get, give everything away, but uh, Ashley is confronted with things again, and, and she uh, has learned. She she's decides to, to handle things a different way. Yeah, yeah, she stands up. She has some, you know, again, without giving her all away, I think one of the key parts of this film is there's a young boy, uh, you know, one of her classmates, who eventually realizes what has been done and uh, and stands up for he becomes that if you will the bystander as they're called and he and he eventually uh, stands up for her kind of like the story of Carson Jones and Shy Johnson that we talked about he stands up for her and that gives her the ability to um, you know to have that social power if you will to to um, to tell the real story mm-hmm. and so as you see you know her life has changed you uh, you're quoted in a, um, an article about this um, as saying that it it's just takes one more person or you know you need a critical mass but you could be that one more person who who stands up and tips the balance yeah it's that's a such a big message tom is you know in high school we we think well if, if I don't have a whole group doing this, it's not going to have an impact. We've got to have a group. We have to have a club, maybe. We have to have 30 people or whatever it might be. And again, there, there are so many examples, but it just takes that one person who, you know, invites someone to sit with them at lunch who has no one's, you know, has no friends with them it, to, to stand up for someone to, as Carson Jones did, just to rally his friends around. So really, it, it probably does start with one person and it spreads to a group. So the, the group thinking is great, but someone one individual has to be the one who stands up and, and leads that so you know any any young people who are listening or parents or grandparents you know the message is one person can make a tremendous difference even through a very simple small thing um i, I think your hope is the movie can be used um you know in schools and in anti-bullying organizations and, and such yeah definitely the you know, the goal with any of this is that more people see it, uh, that more people hear it, that more people read it. And so with the film, we've had so much positive feedback, and it's been out for, you know, five, five roughly five years now. But just it, it's continued to grow, and, and teenagers see it, and they, and they relate to it, and they are inspired by it. It has a positive ending. It has, even though it's a dark topic, it shows a positive side, how this can be flipped around and be made positive. And so I just, I, going back to what we've talked about earlier, I think these kids, these teenagers, in this case, they're inherently good. They, they want to do good. And when they do good, they feel good. They, they recognize it. It's, it's inside of them. And so how do we as adults create that environment? How do we give them opportunities? How do we encourage that? How do we model that? Um, you know, if we're bullying through our remarks online, through uh, letters to the editor, um, even in our, you know, uh, high-profile leadership um, capacity if, if we're being bullies? How do, how do we expect our young people to do otherwise? So I envision, Tom, that it might be the young people leading this movement of kindness and turning this whole ship around. I'm not so sure the adults are, um, are doing it. So I, I challenge, as in this book on unselfish kids, you know, let the young people lead this and turn around. Time's person of the year announced this morning is the youngest person ever to be time person of the year. You know, whether or not we agree with what she stood for is irrelevant. Um, she stood for something and, and has made a difference in, in many ways. And so, again, it's the young people who very well may lead this charge. 
just have a minute left. Uh, what's next? Do you have another? Yeah, it's really. Uh, I don't know. If, yeah, I don't what? know if my wife's list. I mean, it's kind of depending on how much she can stomach. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I, I would love to say we're making millions of dollars on this. That's not the case. It really is a labor of love, and it's it's been fun as a family to to do this, and uh, it's something I believe in strongly. So I, you know, I have a full time job. This is kind of moonlighting stuff I do as I can. Fortunately, my daughter made this uh, second book happen, and so I, you know, I'd hope to do another movie, I, whatever it might be, but. Um, there's plenty. There's plenty of uh, good to be done through media. Well, uh, Paul Parkinson has been our guest. Uh, he is president of Gradual Elevate Media. He's a producer of a feature film, Nowhere Safe. It's about cyberbullying. Um, previous books include Unselfish, Love Thy Neighbor as Thy Selfie, and Unselfish uh, Kids. Um, Paul Parkinson, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so Thank much you. for coming in. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we invite you to join us on Monday for Access Utah. It'll be our Access Utah holiday special. We'll have the Lightwood duo in providing music. Um, and Tim Slover, University of Utah um, uh, theater professor, will be in uh, with some stories, including one I understand that he's written especially for us. That is our U- Access Utah holiday special. That is on Monday. Thanks for listening today. <laughs> You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org. And he says, I can see in your faces that you love what you're doing. Senior producer Ed Payne remembers when John Williams came to conduct the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra. I'm Julie Amaker. Join me for more memories and music of the season during Christmas with the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square from 8 p.m. Monday evening at 9 on Utah Public Radio.